Hi and welcome to Steve Race True Crime Interviews and as you know I sometimes get former criminals on, I get authors on, I get people of interest on and I'm delighted to, to welcome a close friend of mine, Ryan Bobby, uh, who is, um, oh, cram this in, close protection operative, MMA fighter, personal trainer, level three, a doorman, uh, ex-British Army Airborne Forces, um, this guy's done it all and he's only 33 and... and <laughs> I think I've crammed a lot into my 50 years, but you, Ryan, wow, what, what a life story. Thanks for coming on. Great to have you on the show, mate. Yeah, it's great to see you, Steve. I haven't um, seen you in a while. I think last time we catched up was um, in person in Newcastle. That was a good event, that was, and had a good night with you. Yeah, great to see you, mate. Great to see you. And I know we've been trying to get you on for the for the last few months, but finally, finally done it. And um, as I do with all my guests, I like to go back to the start. Just tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Where were you born, um, first of all? And, and what was your childhood like? Yeah, I was um, born in Ketcher General Hospital, which is obviously the town uh, next to us um, at Corby. So spent all my youth up in uh, Corby, a uh, great town, like... Um, Still got friends and family there to this day. Like, um, can't complain. It was just like normal upbringing, bringing really sort of thing. I, I quite um, uh, enjoyed my boxing as a kid. I spent uh, most of my childhood like boxing. That was my go-to sport. I loved watching all the fights growing up, sort of thing in my era of like, like all your, uh, even the old uh, clips of like Roberto Duran, um, Sugary Leonard, all them sort of Hagler and hands and everything, but but my sort of era like people like Lennox Lewis and that was on the scene. Like I just enjoyed, like I quite uh, had a thing for boxing as a youth, and then yeah, just growing up in that town was like brilliant. School was fine, didn't really have any issues and everything. It was all great. Well, did you stick in at school? Did you did you come away with some decent qualifications? Um, I was just sort of like really in the middle. Like school, I, I quite enjoyed like. Um, physical aspects of it of school I, I didn't mind going it was all right but i was always more inclined to the sport i used to try all the sports i was I, I never really liked like football like that much but i used to play and like try and get in the football team and go with matches i used to play for, for a school basketball team just to because you get to go out of out of class really so i was just always into my sports and things really like my memories of school i can't remember too much of it but i remember like just always being enjoying the sports side of school and the socializing were you one of those kids who was like excelled at every sport or were you, you know, I mean, obviously you, you said you fell in love with boxing, but I mean, did you do well at basketball? Did you do well at football? Did you easily float, you know, fit into each sport category and do well at all of them? No, to be fair, I was uh, pretty like useless at all sports, really. I was, I was never really that, that uh, like great at them. I just like really enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed like the fitness side of things across country. I've always just enjoyed the fitness. That's what my memories from school, I just always, um, like trying to play all the sports and like things like that, but I had a good time. I never like disliked school. I thought uh, I thought it was all right. To be fair, I think you're one of the first people that I've ever heard say I enjoyed cross country because that was yeah. one of my pet hates, Ryan, at school. And I was one of those who used to be at the back, um, and I knew this by, by the time you you'd done the cross country a couple of times, you knew that you knew the the routine. You knew you knew you, you knew which way you were going. And I was one of those who was at the back. Um, probably having a sly cigarette with one of the lads and then trying, as you came around the corner, pretending you'd been yeah. running all that time, you know. I even got the bus one day um, <laughs> on my cross-country run uh, and we got back first, which, of course, had alarm bells ringing with the teachers and, of course, got found out. But, yeah, first person I've ever heard said that in Yeah, a lot of people find it quite boring, but I, I always <laughs> quite, quite enjoyed the running, to be fair, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, family life, did you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, I've got... Um... My two two young brothers, uh, they were more into the football sort of thing. One of them does a lot of uh, 
a lot of tie boxing now, but they, yeah, they were into the football. They were quite sporty as well, to be fair. But yeah, the, so I'm two young brothers, then mum and dad. But it sounds like a happy. It sounds like a happy childhood. Then, yeah. Parents, was, I mean, what did, what did your parents do? Yeah, well, it was my dad that got me into uh, martial arts and combat sports originally. To be fair, because he um he first took me when I was five, but you're, you're supposed to be seven to join. But his one of his, his best friend at the time, uh, Darren, he was one of the instructors at the club, so they just like managed to get us in like two years early, thankfully. Ah, it's excellent, great stuff. So, obviously, when you're you're getting towards your your end of school days, what what were what were your ambitions? What was the young Ryan Barbie wanting to be? Uh, yeah, to be fair, I was actively boxing at the time. But I remember when I was because um, used to be able, in my area, used to be able to leave school at like sixteen. So I applied for the British Army at like um, I think going at fifth, uh, fifteen and seven months. I think it was you could apply, and then as soon as you turn sixteen, well, when we leave school you're straight into it so i went to them straight up to harrogate which is like the junior uh intake but when when i was at school i said to all my teachers and stuff like um i really wanted to like go in the uh, british military i always watched all the war films and stuff i was always just like fascinated with that and just always i don't even know why no, no one in my family was military not one person really so i didn't the same with like boxing a lot of things i've done doesn't really fit in, into my family i was just always interested in other things my dad like they was like mad on motorbikes he was like crazy on motorbikes but i, I never even like, like like bothered with motorbikes at all i was always drawn to other things but the military was was my thing so i did all my research i signed up and then I, I was good to go and then i was going to go to my local infantry unit originally like well um royal angling but then when i was at a recruitment office and when i was in training i started doing quite good at my like fitness and when I started joining some of the boxing teams getting into boxing um some of the airborne units they said oh if you go into one of the airborne units their main thing that they like is the boxing so you get to do boxing all the time so that was me sold then I didn't really think far into the future that I'd be jumping out of planes years down like that. I just thought when they said the word like oh they like the boxing and stuff I was like oh wait sign me up I'll, I'll go and do that then so that's how I ended up going into that unit eventually no military background, as you say, nobody in your family going for it. I mean, what was your what was your parents' reaction? I guess especially your mum, because, you know, mums obviously worry. Um, and, you know, as soon as a son says, I want to join, you know, the military or, or go in the army or go in the RAF, panic stations, I would imagine, from, from your mum, was it? Yeah, like, well, Whittle at the best of times. You're, you're always like, well, don't they, your mum? And everything. But um, they were quite supportive, though. My, my dad was like... Um, Good. I always had this like thing where we always try, try and prove, prove to my dad that I was like tough or try and like all that sort of like relationship sort of thing as well. I suppose subconsciously, now I've realised when I'm older, looking back on it. But um, yeah, when I went in, obviously the Iraq and Afghanistan, etc., was all sort of like kicking off in, in the Middle East. So I actually went in at like um, a good time where it was like really, really active. Obviously, 9/11 had happened and all that sort of stuff. Because it all, all in your military career, it all depends like when you join up. If you if you join like after the Falklands War, there was a bit of a gap, wasn't there, before anything really kicked off. And then if anyone's in the military, like now sort of thing, it's quite a downtime as well. There's not much going on now. But so in a sense, I was quite uh, like, lucky that I went in at like really like active like time periods. So tell us about that, that, you know, the, I guess those first 12 weeks are the most important when you, when you join up, you, you have to go through your basic training to see whether, to see whether you can cope. And it's, I gather that from your perspective, the fitness side wouldn't have been an issue because he has a guy who's, who loves sport and who loves cross country. So fitness should have been easy for you, but that would mean that, you know, the mental side of it hasn't been tested. And that's the hard part. Now 
I can only speak from a relatively uh, small amount of experience. I was in the TA, which I know was frowned upon uh, by many by many of the regular servicemen. But when I went in the TA, I did it to discipline myself. And I just, you know, I was I was I was at a major turning point, a crossroads in my life. I could have gone this way or the other. And I, I did it for the right reasons. But I know mentally I couldn't have coped in in in, in the army or or the navy or the or the Royal Air Force because the discipline really killed me. Um, and I, I was a I didn't take I didn't take no authority. Put it that way. So, from your perspective, how did you deal with that? Uh, way I dealt with it. Um, so I always had this um, sort of like tactics that I learned like quite early on in the military, which I'd recommend to anyone. Is like try your best um, not to contact home like, like at all really, unless it's like an emergency. Because um, if you contact back home, it's like subconsciously in your brain then. You start thinking, oh, I could just jack this in. Like, why am I cold, wet outside and hungry and getting bit by beast all the time? I could just be in bed with a missus and, like, with, like go and take my dog out for a walk or something, send a picture of your dog and, like, things like that. But if, if you don't, like, um, if you try and cut away from it, it's, it's, not, it's not, not in your brain. So that was mad tactics. And when I was away, especially if I was on operations abroad anyway, I used to, like, virtually, like, I didn't used to speak to anyone back home at all. Like that'd be my way of mentally dealing with it. Was there anything you struggled with? Um, you know, in in your basic training. I mean, you know, you do everything. I mean, t tell us a little bit about the basic training as well. What what you actually have to do in those first twelve weeks? Well, with basic training is just um, it's just a sort of like we uh, read out the week really, and the people that want to be there who don't want to be there, sort of like the talkers and the walkers sort of thing really, because. A lot of people are like keen to join, but when when they get there, they sort of like have a bit of culture shock. And even like the people that are like really fit or really like switched on intelligence sort of thing, it's not really them sort of people that survive like to the end. When you get to the the pass out parades and stuff, normally quite a few people surprise you because in the first week, whoever's at the front of the uh, the runs like doing really well and smashing it, sometimes they're the like um, people that don't make it, and then some other people at the back, you just like got really strong will and just that sort of attitude like they never quit then then the ones that surprise you and think oh, i didn't expect to see him at the end but they just uh, crack on because it's more the element steve that um rather than your physical attributes of the of your mental toughness and elements what i mean by elements is like uh, how you deal in the cold weather that's that's the hardest thing in my military career is dealing with cold weather and people that haven't been in a situation probably don't understand like if you're out living in the woods for weeks on end and it's the first night and you're absolutely drenched you're freezing cold but like the hands are like purple and you can't stop shivering and you know you've got another like x amount of weeks of doing that like that that's enough that doesn't how fit you are that's enough to break people and then when you go on these runs and your tabs you've always got the, the the weight on your back you're always getting blisters on your feet because when you're training in the gym it's like really comfortable it's nice and warm there's music on and you can go at your own pace and stuff but when when you're out um on any exercises you ain't had much sleep or hardly any sleep at all if i haven't had any proper food like you're cold wet miserable and like that's when it like comes like quite tough and it's, it's the elements uh that sort of kill most people off but when it starts raining and windy a lot of people just just like sort of like jack it in and plus they know what they're doing in the airborne units as well they know how to break people because one of the one of the things I'll never forget, what um, like uh, broke most of the people on our course was on in Wales doing the Penny Fan. We're doing a tab. I think it's like twenty odd miles. I think like twenty three miles or until whatever. It's quite a long distance up and down the hills. And when it got us to the halfway point, they sat us down on your Bergen. I remember like seeing it. I think uh, the wagon. I think I thought oh, I was like buzzing. I thought oh, it's finally done. I was literally had nothing left in the tank. None of us did. 
then when they sat down, they had all the hot brews and stuff in the back. And they said, oh, at this halfway point, if you want to continue, put your bag back on. We're going back again. And everyone was everyone was like buzzing because thought that was it done. And literally like 50% of the course just there. And then just thought, oh, I just jumped on the wagon sort of thing. We used to call it the jack wagon. There's always a vehicle that follows you. And then, because they, they don't care if you're, like, if you're quick or not. They just want you to go to A to B. Off you go. And then if you keep up the pack, you keep up the pack. You're on to the next day. If you don't, I'll see you later you've got a number written on you they just call you by a number they don't even know your name so they just they've got no it's no emotional attachment they're just like oh number six like you're off number 24 you're off oh, oh number 17 good lad you kept up you can stay till the next day and you just keep getting smashed every single day but um it's just your ability to like sort of deal with injuries as well because everyone gets injured but that's why i was lucky that i joined when i was i was young also like uh 16 17 cause when you're that age you don't really get many injuries also as you as you get older the injuries sort of creep up on you I mean, from your perspective, in your in your group, if you like, the people who started off with you, how many how many got through? How many actually passed out? Uh, from based on, I think on when you go into like the P company, there's like people that already passed everything else, so they are like currently like a soldier, and then they go on to do it the specialist training, which is like the P company. But not not really many that passed on our course. To be fair, like look, from the start, from screening like to the end, because you do like all your tests is like it's very small percentage of people that uh, make it through to be fair yeah it, it looks tough and i mean you know i've watched various tv programs it's become something which is uh you know commonplace now you know and, and a lot of reality shows which i guess only show a very fraction of what you actually have to go through it, you know it, to, to become uh you know trained to a certain level um but yeah it's become you know a little, little glimpse into it we've talked about p company um because I've, I've loaded and you can find it in the playlist on the youtube channel a documentary that was made about p company many many years ago was one of my most viewed videos when i put it up the first time i didn't take it down um for for a couple of years but i put it back up and it's it's been well received i mean that looks so harsh that uh, is is that was that documentary accurate I, I appreciate that was probably slightly before your time but had things changed dramatically and it was that was that accurate that documentary yeah the, doc the documentary uh, presented it well it was a good like <clears throat> good insight sort of thing uh put a lot of rumors to bed um the thing is on um thing about that is at the end when you do like your test week which is the final like tests what what um some people try and do like test week to see how they'd like fit up against it but what they like forget is what we did in real time like the past like uh weeks or month like um leading up to it we were getting hammered like four times a day like, leading up to it so when we get to test week like we're our bodies are like battered and then then we go on it so i think that's the only misconception some doctor going to like get when they they show oh these are the tests uh to pass to get in but uh in real life um we're, we'd, you'd get hammered up till test week and then you get on to test week so a lot of the lads all of us when we get on to test week we're like i um i've been absolutely like battered we're probably a good few kilos lighter than we were walking around when we first started and we've probably got a few tight hamstrings and a few blisters steve you know what i mean <laughs> i think the one thing that always strikes me is is the the camaraderie and i mean you know you've got each other's backs but on top of that, you've been trained to kill Ryan. Let's let's not beat around the bush here. Um, yeah. Did that really sink in with you? Because you've always struck me as a really nice lad. And, you know, sometimes you, you see people going into the military, um, you know, and, you know, they're not nice pieces of work, some of these people. And, and being trained to kill is something they're going in to, to relish. Was that, was that something that really struck you, you know, as you were doing it or later in the day, you know, once you'd passed, you know, you passed out and you, you joined full time? Yeah, I think they, they 
uh, ramp you up and make you uh, turn it on if you have to. Like when we're doing like our bayonet training or anything on P Company, you got like you start screaming at each other's face and you, and um, you start putting it, uh, you bayonet into the sandbags and they ramp you up and then you can just turn it off and just like, go back to the block or whatever. And then they make us do a thing called like milling as well. So you're like 60 seconds you're in front of someone. Obviously that was in documentary and then you got to like punch each other. It's like a bit bit of a like fist fight just to see if you've like got um, a bit of balls about you and just things like that. But yeah, you can always just turn it off a lot. And then what I've learned in the military and because um, I've got friends that are in special forces, etc. like if you ever meet any of the ones that are the best soldiers I've met and the, the biggest like animals on on tours and stuff, like uh, the best soldiers, when, when you meet them in person, you wouldn't even think of a soldier, the nicest people you ever meet. Same in uh, like your martial arts as well, like um, the top top tier fighters of our era, like your Khabibs and GSPs, etc. If you if you meet them, you like they, they're just so humble and like nice sort of thing. So I think that's not just military, I think that goes throughout life really. Like if people are generally got something about them or they're dangerous and they know capable they tend to be like quite nice so that's what i've uh learned throughout my life the people that down the pub starting on fights taking the top off and stuff they're normally the, the insecure ones anyone that's um like either competed at martial arts at a high level or they've uh, military at a high level they're normally just like family guys and just down to earth people really from what i've ever met I don't know if that's the same for yourself or yeah no definitely yeah i mean from the people i've met most certainly i think yeah i think you're 100 percent right i was going to ask you about the miller naturally because obviously with a you know an interest in boxing and a bit of a boxing background yourself i mean that's controlled aggression isn't it it's you know some people might think it's you know you just got to go and go and go and you're trying to knock somebody out that's not the case and it's i guess it's it once once that minute stops or once once you you know your commanding officer or your sergeant or whatever says right that's it stop it, you've got to stop because some people are, I can imagine continuing and continuing because they can't control their aggression. Yeah, that's one of the main reasons for a test as well, Steve, is to be able to like uh, switch off when you have to as well. That's just as important as being able to switch on because if you can't switch it off, you can be a liability to the team. It's the same as yourself uh, for when you used to work on the doors. If you had someone in the team who's, if a fight breaks out and you have to get hands on, but then when it's calmed down, it's stopped. If he still wants to carry the fight on and fight everyone inside, he, he sort of turns into like a bit of a liability, then he causes more trouble and stuff. So there's more of that soldier, and that's one of the tests for, for the men is to be able to like like teach and, and see which lads can turn it on, but also just as important, be able to turn it off when they have to as well. Where was your first posting? Uh, first posting I did, um, as in what for training you can i was based on in colchester once you, yeah yeah i mean no, I no, once you once you passed once you passed out where where were you where were you first sent away because i mean back in the day you used to have to go to northern ireland and do a stint uh, or you went, yeah, to, yeah. Or you went we, to germany um, yeah well i was based in colchester and essex which was brilliant to be fair because it was, it was a good town it was live in the nightlife was good the shops were good it was like a, uh, of all the places to be it was actually um a blessing really so colchester essex i've got really good uh, memories down there but when my first abroad um, post that we did, when we started training abroad, uh, we went on exercise. I went out to Kenya and did a lot of work out there um, on exercise because we were used to like training in Scotland and Wales and stuff because it was always raining. It was always cold. So you got to pack your kit and you got to train in your mat read and everything in like cold, uh, the cold and wind, etc. cetera. But um, we had to uh, adapt our training to like in the hot. So we, because we were also going out to get ready to go out to the Middle East, like Afghanistan and Iraq, etc. So we started training the hot weather climate. So that's me there on top cover um, out in Kenya. 
hell of an experience to go to a foreign country, I guess. Had you, had you been abroad before? Yeah, only on um, like family holidays and stuff, but not 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 too many. I didn't go on uh, too many holidays as a kid, really abroad. Yeah, I, and I mean, I guess the one thing I've often heard from a lot of guys who have been in the military who I've gotten to know over the years is, you know, that you work hard but you play hard. Was that the case in Kenya for a young Ryan? Yeah, well, um, we got at the end of the, I think it was like six weeks, six or seven weeks we out there, or just short of two months we were out there. But the last sort of two or three days we did, um, um, we had your R&R and you had like your adventure training. But I always loved the adventure training in the military. It was brilliant. We did, got to do like uh, your white rock rafting and like mountain bike rock climbing, like bungee jumping, like that, like sort of stuff. We did, um, even when we go back to the UK, we did um, adventure training. We go down Nuki and stuff, try a bit of, hit a bit of surfing up and do it. Uh, coastal steering do we jump on um, different places and we jump off into the cliff into the sea sort of thing yeah but, uh, some of that could be like really like get, get a good buzz sort of thing that's actually more um probably more fear, uh fearful doing that than uh, jumping out of plane into the air sort of thing really like when you jump into the sea i just always had the thing of water so obviously i couldn't bottle it in front of the lads but i, always, I was always more uh, scared doing that than actually parachuting to be fair like the coastal steering side of things did you have any moments like that? I mean, that that's that's a big thing as well, I guess. You know, in in the parachute regiment, to jump out of a plane, I guess. You know, I mean, anyone anyone who's done it will tell you it's the most exhilarating thing you could ever do. However, you know, was was the nerves for you your first on your first jump? Um, on the first jump, you do like a clean fatigue jump, so you haven't got any kit with you, and I think you just um, you just you just jump out. But you got it's on you're on a stack line, so it, it releases it for you. So you haven't really got much. To think about I, I was normally like in the middle of the uh, pack really because you have people walk through and then uh like jump out but it's just like random but i was never really the front man i was normally in the middle so by the time you get to the front it's like too late really and then the ref lad will whatever just um like e ease your out sort of things but yeah i, I enjoyed it oh, it was a really good buzz i enjoyed going on the jumps course anyway because it's good after smashing your body on the peak company sort of thing because you go to the RF camp in like Bryce Norton and they have like better food than the army do and they had like better gyms as well. So we, we used to just go to the gym all the time and like have good food and then do the jumps. Like that that time at Bryce Norton was like quality to be fair. I guess the jumping's the easy bit, it's the landing. Yeah, a few people over the years have had like horror injuries, but I was always really, really lucky, Steve. I never had any knocks or at all. I always landed really good. I never um we get drilled to like um you count to like four seconds and then you look up to check your canopy and you've got to make sure you're not in any twists or you've got to pull your reserve or you've got to get out your twist but i was always like super lucky in all of mine i never even got into any twists uh, twists let alone um, any bad landing so i i got lucky which i was happy about that's the only thing i'd be scared of i'd be scared to like get injured because if you get injured then you can't train which like trains a big part of my life so it's like if you can't train like for your mental health and stuff it just drives you mad when you're injured because i'm I'm actually injured at the minute. I've like hurt both my knees. I've done the MCL on my knees, like in some like freak accident in um just in uh, the tie boxing, just doing a bit of clinch work. Like a base down my knee went, so I'm obviously on a bit of a down and out gutted. So that's the only thing I was scared of of jumping. I thought, oh please Christ, just make sure I don't get injured. Yeah, I can imagine. So when was the first time that you actually saw action? Um uh, first time I deployed um was 2008 deployed about i think it was about eight march april time to start like the summer tour because we we yeah, was out there for, um for the whole summer that was um, on herrick eight and what what you know can you can you go into what you were doing out there yeah we was um 
was based in well when when the regiment like landed at like Cambassian, that sort of safe hold place, and then they get told like where you're going like from there. And uh, the unit I was uh, attached to was working. We got put up to like Fob Inkerman, which was a, a quite active like Fob, but that's uh, short for Ford Observation Base. So um, when when we was out there, um, it was like it was like kicking off like quite a lot. It was a really it was a good uh, Fob to go to really, and it was obviously at that sort of time in that era like it was at, at its most active as well so it was and really this is, was this afghanistan yeah this is a helm province yeah southern afghanistan yeah yeah i mean you've sent us a few photographs can you tell us what these these photographs are yeah that's one of the sangans from that fob that's my my nan's uh initial on my hand there see the bottom right called j for jennifer that's my nan so she'd come out with us i went um yeah, that's just that one of the sounds where we were like sort of stagging on. Really, that was just uh, looking looking out of camp. Okay, this this one. Um, yeah, that was like in inside the fob. That was um, one of the, the, the mortar lads that were doing that. Uh, one of one of the nighttime ones. Okay. Yeah, that was on top of a um, that's a, a fifty caliber um, like weapon. That was on top of like uh, a Land Rover, which we tend to. Like armored, we call it like Wimix. So if like that mainly got used on our fob, if out out the back there's a, a HLS, which stands for helicopter landing site. So we needed like resupplies or to get any of the blokes back to Bastion for whatever reason, uh, a, a Chinook helicopter would like come down. But uh, the lads used to take them them out and like secure it because that's normally when the Taliban would like sort of fire RPGs or go to attack. Uh, they always look to um, hit the um, the helicopters or the um, Chinook. So that was like us. Uh, like fire support protecting it a big bit of equipment that uh is this you is this one of you yeah that's, oh that's me just a bit wow just a bit gonna see it. that's what threw us a little bit and it's with a bit yeah, of a distance i wasn't sure so that's you that's well, you weight back then or even bantam weight i don't know <laughs> <laughs> nearly every weight now they're in the lockdown but yeah that's what was hat on um yeah sometimes when we that was uh, yeah the 50 caliber one there sort of thing cutting about it's got a good tan on sort of thing and is that i mean would you use that or are you just posing with that to show the the hardware that's on display that was um well cp um my base was that was a part just just behind it and then that, that was ready to to go um the back of it and then like uh, protect like the hls sort of thing yeah but yeah sometimes we'd always have our helmet and um body armor if we're, when we're active sort of thing but to be fair if we hit like a mine or whatever on underneath that it gets like you get flung up so but so high if you hit like an id whatever like even if you had your helmet and body armor on like like you ain't gonna do much good anyway you're gonna get like mm -hmm. blown to smithereens really but a lot of the lads when you got the body armor and the helmet on because when, when you're when in that heat like especially coming to a couple of scottish lads when we first got there we were acclimatizing some of them were like like borderline like fainting i think we had a couple of people like now if like faints or things well because it's so it's so hot out there but like the human body is like a incredible thing it like evolves and adapts um in a, sh a short periods of time like so give it like a month all, all the lads are like sort of used to the like, uh, hot weather really mm. yeah i mean it's, it's amazing and again just one of the vehicles i guess it just shows you again what kind of serious situation you were in the middle of yeah yeah probably as well probably one of the worst fobs i think got uh got a lot of income in and um people like mortars coming in and everything and yeah it was like it was really active like i think one of the days i've you know, kicked off like most days and stuff really at a, a certain point i think 
either like the month before Ramadan or the month after it. They sort of leave alone on Ramadan, but either side of the Ramadan, that's when it like kicked off really bad, I think. And this one, obviously, this is from 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 an aircraft. I mean, is this is this when you were approaching? Yeah, um, I think that this is what we have one of Lynx helicopters. This is actually like either one of the RF and Navy ones. That's is when you go um, when you're leaving the camp, or if you're going on your R and R. So um, but that was just yeah, one of the pictures when we were. That's when I was leaving actually. Because when when I when I come in, I come in uh, in a chinook, but that that was the one when I was leaving. That was. Yeah, fascinating. Just fascinating images. Um, is this at night or is this early morning? That's just uh, dust. I, um, yeah, it's just one of the fifty cows again, like out looking out the back. Looks like it's just uh, first thing in the morning because with um, the Taliban, they used to never fight us at night time, Steve, because they knew they'd just get hammered because they never had night vision, whereas we did. So at night time, you're usually like pretty, pretty safe. Really, they'd never really attack at night time. I mean, it's a vast wilderness, isn't it? I mean, I don't think you can appreciate it until you're actually there, you know, what you're actually looking out onto. And I mean, obviously, you're dealing with heat, um, you know, something which I don't have to deal with in Newcastle. Um, but it's, but yeah. joking aside, it's just this vast wilderness, isn't it? And it's um, a different different climate. And I, get, I guess just, you know, not knowing, you know, not knowing when an attack is going to come as well is, is, is another thing which, which plays on your mind. It's all about that mental training that you had to do in those early days. Yeah, it just got like uh, like switch off really. It sounds pretty strange when when you was there. It didn't even seem like it was anything that mad like going on because it was just sort of like you sort of a product of your environment. So sort of after a while, it just sort of seemed normal. Like as strange as that sounds, and the blokes like to the left and right, they were in the same boat as well. So it wasn't really till I got home and then a couple of weeks have passed and you're at night time and then you start thinking of some things that like, happened and how it was and you start thinking, oh, I was pretty crazy actually. But when you're out there, you sort of Get immune to it i suppose it's the same as anyone really with like um they get like exposed to like like violence or whatever. it just sort of becomes like a bit like normal yeah no no there's there's no doubt about it and it's great to look back i guess on these photographs and i, I mean I, I presume that's spent ammunition is it from a from an attack or yeah that got, that got uh fired that was one of the silence that fired that out of like one of the sangs uh, West Sanger is he West or South? Uh, I think it was the West Sanger that they there's some like rounds that got uh, fired. That wasn't actually me that fired them, to be honest. It was one 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 of the side. It paints a picture though. It paints a terrifying picture. And and this, I, I mean, is this a, a helicopter that got taken down? Yeah, that's an Apache helicopter that the Taliban hit with, um, like an RPG. I can't that um, didn't actually happen at Fobing. I can't actually remember where that happened. To be fair. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was that was while we was we was out there when the patches got hit by like, a different fireball. It just shows the dangerous situation you found yourself in, mate. Um, you did send us one other photograph, and it's this one. Uh, tell us a story behind this. Yeah, I can't remember uh, when this was in the tour, but we got a bit of like incoming, and um, that was one of the mortar that landed inside the fob, not far from where some of the guns and stuff were. But the actually the fin, it, like it managed to stay intact, like really, really good, and. Um, it's like a miracle how it like stayed like in that sort of piece, like even though it did it did go off. So that that's actually in uh, one of the UK museums at the minute. I'm, I'm not sure which one it even is, but that, they've actually kept that in one of the museums. But we a couple of lads got a couple of pictures. We we sort of I had a look at it before they took it away. But yeah, that was that actually landed not not far from us. Was that probably your most terrifying experience being out there? What what that. Just, just in, just in, in that situation in Afghanistan, yeah, yeah. was that yeah. in your military career? 
was that was that probably when you look back oh, now was that yeah yeah like it was made uh if you speak to a lot of people at that um time i've been on tours elsewhere that, that was like the one really like afghanistan and fobinkman and like that, that helm friends that's when it was at like, its peak that's what it was like kicking off like i like, quite bad i think it like even surprised a lot of the hierarchy guys as well i think it was on the news quite a lot as well they didn't expect it to but sort of from like 2006 to 2009 like 2008 like that sort of period i think they got like uh underestimated the taliban quite a lot to be fair and i think with the resupplying and stuff they sort of sort of struggled that's why if there's any like books um out there that's always in that sort of like time period so that that, that was uh, good that's why i'm quite happy like i was like to be, be a part of it really so I am going to ask you the obvious question, and that is obviously what's happened in Afghanistan in 2021. Um, you know, you've probably seen and lost uh, some close friends. Um, you know, you've seen action out there yourself. Um, the Taliban are back in control now, and I, I guess a lot of us are scratching our heads and thinking, well, you know, even us who weren't involved or had family members involved, what was it all for? Yeah, that's a um, question I can't really answer, to be fair. It's a a deep one at that but when it when it did happen like a little um quite a lot of the lads in the regiment and in the military were hit quite hard by it sort of thing what i've seen on social media some people worse than others but some people generally were like really really gutted i tried to like not really like let um affect me really i tried to put a positive spin on it and said like when we was there we did a couple of good things like so like a couple of like women got a bit of education a couple of kids might like, got some um not to go to school a bit safer etc or whatever but um yeah I, as a whole it, it was quite shocking really to the, the thing that i think that um surprised the public and everyone even the military personnel how quickly it happened it wasn't like a quick turnover it was literally like less than a week wasn't it it was like literally a few yeah well, I can't what, it was like a few days and boom we're straight back in power but um in a in a, in a strange way as well i wasn't even surprised either when they all pulled out it wasn't like because we had some ANA lads, African National Army, we tried, they, they were like getting trained up by a sort of thing. And you could just tell really, like, just weren't really on the caliber. Like, takes, you need, they need a lot of help out there. Like, as soon as it pulled out, like, and it, I knew it wasn't going to take long. I didn't expect it to be that quick, but it was just it was straight going. So there's quite a lot of secret Taliban out there as well. People didn't pretend, like, they turned coat like straight away, didn't they? There's, I think there's a lot more Taliban out there than people like um, British intelligence, American intelligence think like did you ever have any close shaves out there was there any any times where your, your life was at risk yeah i think well at fob Inkerman, like this on the second day there was like building a shower and um, an spg like g9 round like come like hit the wall like right next to us and nearly like blew me and my, my pal like, that was one, one of the closest ones that happened like straight away but um that was uh just like sort of like made tour really like sort of got like a good buzz sort of thing like i think that's why i got into mma really because when when it like kicks off out there or whatever, you, can, you can't really replicate in normal life so when i if i jump into the octagon and have a scrap sort of thing it's only like 10 percent of the buzz you're probably going to get from what i got out in afghanistan but at least it's something to keep um keep it at bay sort of thing so we'll come to that in the second part yeah. um, i'm going to give a shout out to the sponsors before i do that i just want to ask you about ptsd i mean it's something which you know we see a lot about now thankfully because um i think men realize now that they've got to talk uh, it's not a weakness to talk um and we see 
Um, you know, I've seen it when I've been on holiday in America, especially lots of ex-servicemen living on the streets, living rough, not not looked after by the country that they defended for years. Um, PTSD is a major problem in this country. We've seen, it, you know, ex-military tend not to get looked after in this country either. You know, have you been okay since you, you came away from that? Yeah, in all uh, fairness, I've been, like, really lucky. I haven't really um, suffered from any, but I've got, like, friends that have, and you can see, like, some good blokes go, like, downhill, like... Uh, quite fast and you're right about um maybe it, that sort of era people didn't talk about as much as what they do now when, when you get like big sports stars like tyson fury and stuff coming out and talk about it, it it gets a bit more publicity but people didn't know about it back then but obviously it's a lot more um known now than it was back then but yeah with with ptsd it's like the brains are funny things steve i i don't think we'll really fully human race hasn't understood it like properly there's still a lot of research to do there and hopefully one day they can potentially like, find a cure or whatever but yeah it's a, it's a funny old thing of ptsd i think it's like like when the brain's like at that high edge all the time it's hard for them to come back so if they come back and then they go on a night out they're probably someone bumps into them and they'll probably just start a riot or whereas before they wouldn't and a lot of people can get a lot of the lads got in a lot of trouble when they got back you know what i mean and some people that used to never because i don't really drink and some of the lads I used to do all the cross country with and the running and train all the time. They used to like train all the time. And then we got back and then six months later, they're getting like drunk every day. And it's like, oh, you didn't, didn't used to drink before we went there. Like, how can you get in like smashed all day or like, every day and stuff? But yeah, I don't really understand it, but it's definitely a problem that's clear for everyone to see. And there's a little uh, fact for you, Steve, as well. In uh, my battle group, um, more people actually um, committed suicide than actually got uh, killed and injured, like from from today, like that was on the at the battle group with us that actually were injured or killed when we were out there. So that's actually like a true stat. So it must be something. It's not um, it's not like made up or anything. It's like definitely real life. It's something. Something is actually there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Well, anybody out there who is suffering from mental health, please reach out to somebody. Don't keep it to yourself. Uh, pick up the phone and speak to somebody. It's a very important message. Spider VPN, thank you as always for your sponsorship. Google Spider VPN. They come up at the top of the Google search list, and uh, they can help you with any uh, computer issues that you may have. It can help with privacy issues on your computer as well. Well worth uh, speaking to the lads at Spider VPN. Thanks also to skipsandbins.com. Telephone 0800 2545 Email inquiries at skipsandbins.com. Website www.skipsandbins.com. Easy contract free and pay as you go waste collection. Thanks also to LNG Family Funeral Directors 01913897245. And the Garden of Healing Dispensary, CBD Hemp and Cannabinoid Specialists. www.thegoa hd.com thanks also to arcot interiors uh, for all your kitchen needs based on heaton road in newcastle google arcot interiors and they can give you a good valuable quote today and thanks to qtechshop.co.uk the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in walls and newcastle and a jab signature.co.uk uh, that is the place to go for all of your boxing needs. And uh, if you're a first-time visitor to the channel, welcome. Hit the Newcastle Legends logo in the bottom right-hand corner to subscribe to the channel for free. We do seven shows a week minimum. Uh, usually do a few more. Uh, always worth checking in to see what we've got on offer. Hit the thumb up underneath the video to like this video. Click share to share to your social media. And drop into the comments box below uh, to leave a comment about today's show and we're also available as a podcast on itunes spotify and the rest uh usually goes up within 24 hours of the show going out 
Okay, you mentioned MMA and you mentioned fighting at the start. Um, you know, how did you get into the MMA sport? Well, um, yeah, by the time I'd finished, like, come towards the end of military career, well, getting back from the tours and etc. Like MMA had like hit off. I think like people like Chuck Liddell and TOTs and stuff, and like I think 2008, 2009, it was that sort of era. Like really sort of like um, like kicking off, and like Randy Couture come about, and everyone's like, oh, everyone's jumping on this MMA. So I. Like, like naturally, like just um, I thought I'd just jump in and give us a shot. Started uh, going training, and I was like hooked right from the get go. I think that helped with, um, like I said, like maybe that's why I didn't suffer PTSD as well because I I got hooked on a uh, new addiction, which was obviously MMA. And then uh, back then, like I was like training like every, every day, like wouldn't miss a session. Like every day, I was loving it. It was all new, like and, um, and it's just like the sports blowing up now. Obviously, with like. Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey, all the superstars that come through, it's like obviously mainstream like now. But back then, it was still was it would just come on the scene, but it wasn't like as 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 big. But yeah, I just um, jumped onto it, and I was eager to like jump in and have a go and have a few fights here and there. I, I was a bit too eager to be fair. When I, I was probably sh I should have waited a bit to be fair. I was just eager to get in there. Like should have waited till um, skill level got um, better. But there's more more the training that. I just enjoyed it, Steve. To be fair, like I think it's brilliant. Like, how did you find that discipline from boxing? I mean, you were boxing as a youngster. Did you find much difference in there? Because obviously, with with MMA, there's a bit of ground and pound. You, you you know, there's there's you know different things that you can do. Did you did you prefer boxing to MMA? Because I'm a boxing man. I yeah, prefer yeah. boxing. I never got into MMA. I, yeah. I just couldn't enjoy it. All the lads on the door around us were in it. They were training. They were doing it. It wasn't yeah. for me. Yeah, that's another thing as well because everyone in, uh, started like doing the MMA. So I had to, if I was working, so I was working the doors and local. I had to make sure I could like compete with them guys as well. And yeah, with with, with the doors when I did that, I was just like sort of that that uh, was pain for my training because when when I got out, um, I didn't have as, as much funds like for for the training. So I used to just, like do the doors. So I had more training to pay for pad men or because I used to with the MMA I used to train. Um, at multiple gyms i used to travel around the country loads of different gyms here there, ever even even travel abroad to train like um like holland like thailand etc and stuff so I, I needed the cash so that's why the um, main reason the doors but with with mma training i just found like peace of it like and it was completely different to boxing it was like a whole new like addiction really it was a whole new like game to change but with boxing was always first love and even to this day if like the top boxers like like uh fighting like your canelos and Triple G's, etc. Like I prefer, I prefer watching like the bot good boxing fight if it's evenly matched. But um, but for actually uh, doing and training, I always prefer the MMA, which is weird. So I've, I've obviously enjoy watching the UFC and stuff, but I do um I do actually enjoy uh, the boxing more to watch because that's sort of my my first love. But with the MMA to do the training, it's like I just find it so much more fascinating and enjoyable than the boxing. Just I, I actually enjoy the grappling and stuff, and it's. It's better for the doors and for the close protection work, Steve, as well. Because if you're like scrapping someone on the dance floor, if you just get them in a hole and like take them out, it, look, it looks it looks quite good. Cause it makes you not look like you're a bully or whatever, and you're not going to really doing much damage to them, and you're not going to do much damage to yourself. But with like punching people and stuff, you're going to be breaking your hand all the time, and plus it looks bad, doesn't it? And you're going to be hurting them and stuff. So I think it's it's good to know for the it's more practical for the close protection as well. Like you can. You can use them skills they transfer a lot better i think than the stand-up fighting 
I've got to be honest. I mean, you say it's good for the door. I, I, I've got one incident that I, I I actually had where I'm not going to mention the guy's name to save him embarrassment. But we're working on a bar in Newcastle, and um, he decided to uh, put into action some of his MMA training in the middle of a bar. Um, yeah. Which and there was only two of us on. There was 500 people in the bar, and he decides to go into the middle of the bar on his routine check, uh, get his arm behind probably one of the biggest kids we've ever had in the bar. And he wasn't. Don't get us wrong. He wasn't muscly. But he was about 20 stone of fat. And he got behind him, put his hands behind his head, pulled him towards him, and then rolled him onto the floor. Then tried to get him back up. Fantastic. He couldn't. So I had to go in. It's just so, we're just very lucky that the 15 or so people who he was with that day didn't have the the you know the gumption to turn on us and, and decide to take their anger out on us. Uh, I managed to talk a couple of them down um, and we got them out, but needless to say, I gave that doorman a piece of his mind that night and I refused to work with him again because ultimately he could have put us in a hell of a position, um, you know, use, using his using his MMA skills, if you like. Uh, yeah, you've got to be careful who you work with, Steve, because if you work with some of the wrong door staff, you end up bringing like, more trouble uh, to yourself, yeah. I think, because the public don't like see, they wouldn't like pick like one doorman, oh, he was being out of order, the other, they're they all right, they'll just see like a doorman and just take it out as a blank blanket or they'll come back next weekend and say oh, oh dorman here fucking yeah. like knobs or whatever like they'll take it back on you they don't really like um when they're drunk in the public they just see you all as the same like um the same team don't they but that's what yeah you have to be you gotta be careful who you work with definitely oh 100 sometimes you don't get the choice of who you work with that's that's the problem that's just the finishing thing. up finishing up on the mma i mean you know did how far did you go in it i mean i you know i've been through you know some of the photographs you've had and it, yeah you, you've obviously had a few fights did you did you win anything doing the mma yeah i um to be fair like i just use it like for when i got a military so there's just something a new thing to do but i obviously got that title there. i think that was from impact uh fight uk and then um won that belt and then i went on to i was in the imaf so the um the, the gb team that fight in the european championships so i got to like fight for the uh, team gb which is obviously good because obviously i got to fight for like great britain out in afghanistan etc and then i got to do it in the octagon so i was always happy with that little tick in the box but yeah to earn a living it's hard to, like earn a living with it really and then let's take it to the next step i just sort of always just like loved it for whatever reason i don't know why but and then it opened doors up for the close protection because obviously that's where i make uh, my money for my family really so with, with a fighting as much as i loved it it was always um other stuff in my life that really sort of bring the bread to the table yeah i mean you know mma is uh, you know for, for you as i say you you enjoyed fighting you enjoyed it you've tested yourself getting to the octagon big big achievement that as well um the security you mentioned door work so let's talk door work first i mean you and i that's but another thing we've got in common, I did I did 18 years of the door in Newcastle. I worked in London. I worked in uh, Ibiza. So you know, uh, you know, been around a bit and done, done the job. You know, how did you find doing the doors? Because like you already said, you know, you, you have to be able to trust the person you're working with first of all, um, or the people that you're working with. They've got to have your back. You've got to have theirs. You've got to have trust in those people. Uh, sometimes you're thrust together if you're working for a security company. Um, so you, you sometimes don't get the choice of who you're working with. But I mean, how did you find it any any hair raising experiences for you yeah we had, we had a few like sort of bad situations like here and there but um i thought it was like quite good because it's it quite similar to the army in a way really like um man regiment as well they quite like the rugby as well if like like doors rugby like just like being a team but like you got each other's backs it's 
it's good like sort of, and then you put yourself in a dangerous situation every now and again like sort of happens so I thought that was a good thing to wing me away from the military as well so it probably helped my mental health like quite a lot as well like getting involved in that because it has quite a lot of similarities but I, I always enjoyed the doors so you never really I got um, fantastic money from it but you're going to meet friends for life you're going to have build up your people like skills I've met like I've made friends with people at doors I'm still friends to now and you can you can meet um, a few like just like, good people a few nice girls a few nice lads like do people in your area like you, you see you sort of get to know everyone really as well it's a good um social networking like from the doors and it can open uh, it can open up uh other things really because on when you like, do the doors yourself you, you get to meet everyone so you can you can always like come across like some handy people to know that can sort sort out another thing in life i guess you it's about networking as well isn't it yeah, yeah. I think you, you that's uh, you you and i are very similar in that respect always network and you know uh, you never yeah, know where security, it could be yeah, that's what you do sort of thing yeah like that's how i've sort of come across you from random networking in a sense like not even for your security like with with your books like so obviously when you did the um book for paul paul ferris and obviously with the like mutual friends like with jez and everything and we went down to your event in newcastle and the sayers family they took us i was in the house with you wasn't i when um yeah tony god bless his soul when he, he took us in he was that's the one thing i say say his family like up there they treat us like gold up there they even sort us a nice hotel out and everything and then we took us into the um into his uh tony when he took us into the house and stuff and when i first met steven he got us a drink and stuff and it's just always, always been that, that sort of person like you are as well you're better than me like you just you sort of you're good talker and you like just get on with people and like networking it go, goes a long way in life that's what it's like in the security industry so when from doing the doors the amount of people you meet that are in the industry they can um they can give you good opportunities in the close protection world because you get to meet like so many different people and some of people could do a favor like down the line and like, oh, i know for your cp job i know this lad he's good or like i'll vouch for him it's all about like um getting rubber stamped as well isn't it? it's like word of mouth it doesn't matter if you've got your badge or not it's like your, your reputation you've worked you've looked after some stars mind i mean I, it's one of the things that i've I managed to achieve over the years as well looking after different celebs but i mean yeah. have you had any you know just going through the pictures we showed tyson fury earlier that was uh only Mers, but I mean, have you had any? Have you had any situations with celebrities where you've had to, you know, you've had to do the old bodyguard routine and jump in and prevent something happening or or whatever? I I think the, probably the worst one I had was was when I I looked after Katie Price a couple of times and um, just overzealous kids, I guess, trying yeah. to trying to like you know jump in or grab the, the you know grab the client or whatever that's that was always a bit you know big difficulties for us but other than that i've been very lucky in that sense and you often get you get warnings about different people um who potentially could turn up and cause trouble but you know i'm thankful to say that the, the cp jobs that i did were all without without incident what about you yeah i'll give you a little story then on um because I was on YouTube and all that, but um, with um, like KSI, we're looking after, uh, well, Lodge B, the team's looking after KSI, Steve. Yeah. Everything had like uh, like finished. And uh, when we went back, when we're leaving in the Mercedes thing, some some fan was like absolutely like, like dying to um, like meet him. He wouldn't, he wouldn't take no for an answer for like a whole shift, really. He was there for like four hours because he was a fellow YouTuber. He was dying to get his views up and everything. And he wouldn't take no for an answer. And then at the end he ended up um like jumping on uh in front of the vehicle like trying to like make it stop like about two or three times it went while it was moving like you could have like seriously in yourself you end up getting arrested and everything it's all uh 
<laughs> long story really but it's like that's the length that some people do like he was he was like literally like jumping in front of the vehicle like, when, that's what i thought about when you said anyone like jumped in you had to like get in the way like, he, he literally this guy was like jumping in front of the vehicle like trying to force the stop he was like desperate like I've, I've got to ask you about this guy. Um, and I came across this scour scouring through your social media. <laughs> of all the people uh, you've been photographed with, tell us about this guy. Oh, that's a story. That was like quite local to us. He, one of the um, guys was taking around different um, like venues and pubs and stuff because they had like a like mini, they had like a festival on sort of thing, have like done our way. And they had him going around trying to promote people's like to come to this festival. So we we just went around with him. But he, he was funny, old Gordon. Yeah, the old Serena. He, he he got absolutely smashed. Bless him. He, he was having a great time. He was. Yeah, I mean, just just anybody who you know anybody who can make a living out of just being filmed on social media saying something which is the least likely thing you'd ever yeah. hear that guy it was say watched video on youtube ever in it one was one i think so, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> fantastic mate okay we said we'd finish off with this uh, we're coming up towards the end of the the podcast and we said we'd finish off with this now this is a major event and i mean that is you uh, with your back to camera um i think the flag on the front of that motor vehicle gives us a little indication of probably one of the biggest jobs you've ever done and probably one of the proudest moments in your CP career. Tell us about this. Yeah, well, it's, um, it's the biggest job. I can't really beat it, really. That was um, obviously uh, part of the private security detail uh, looking after um, the president of the United States of America. We'll see, like, Joe Biden was at the seat at the time. But I always said to people, like, anyone, because people like, prefer different presidents, etc. but... It's also much like who it is. It's like it's the seat, isn't it? So it's just the fact that it was the president is the main thing. And um, yeah, it's like a massive like honor, really, because um, we was working um, with a Secret Service like for that job, and um, I was one of the team leaders for the British um, like teams. I was team leader for the nights shifts, and we had the one of the French Royal Legion lads is a really good lad. He was in charge of the daytime, and it was just brilliant, Steve. When uh, Cause that was during the day well, that's because that's when the media and the public and everyone like knew where he was so he's staying that's when he's leaving but on the way in there wasn't that was no photos and videos etc of that because they sort of like snuck him in without like people are really knowing and uh it was something out of a movie when i was there it was like such a good buzz and a great moment of my life because they had the, the air support like come in so the helicopters like quite low flying had all, all the vehicles and stuff like and, they had um, like snipers were there, like all the SWAT teams. They had like no stone was uh, left unturned. When got in there, all the TVs like got like taken out. They had to bring their own TVs in case there was any any bugging. And like all the um, they welded all the um, drain pipes like down like on on the road like sort of thing in case there's any like like a bomb sort of thing or what people used to do and stuff and. It was, just, it was just like great, like surreal. Like when you're there, it didn't, didn't even like um, seem real. They even used one of the old cellars, a wine cellar in the hotel underneath as a nerve cell to, to look at like the uh, set up the cameras and etc. to doing it. But the, the good thing was when you had all the police, like the support, like the specialists on the outside, there was them and then like there was us on the inner. So they had to like listen to all us. And then obviously the next one line, like we were working with like directly with the secret service. But that's why it was like one. Uh, such a good moment really because because it was um secret service don't get any better than that and to work um for the secret service you have to be an american citizen you have to like um and you have to be like born there so 
if I spent my whole life, even if I become the best CP guy on the planet, I still wouldn't be able to be a part of that. So the fact that I got that opportunity is like, it is like literally once in a lifetime opportunity. I can't um, really like beat that. And then they obviously, when they finish a shift, um, they, uh, they, they give us something to say thank you on the last day, which um, which like meant the world to us sort of thing. I've got here on the camera, they like got the old, um, they gave us that, that uh, coin, I'd say shit like, like cheers or thing, and then they give me one um one of their pin badges. I got it inside this as well, so it get damaged. We gives a pin as well, so that that was like great to be fair. Obviously, I got medals in the military and stuff like from Afghanistan. Things that happened out there, I got them. A, but that meant more to us because it was just it was something so um that not many other people can like say. It's quite unique. I mean that we've got to do something like, like that. Ryan, that's fantastic, that mate, and I mean that's a piece of history yeah. in itself. So. What what are you up to now? So well, I'm injured, mate. I'm still enjoying um, and may I love to like get a fight in this year because obviously this is like the start of the year. Uh, get the weight down and have a go. I'm doing uh, obviously still doing all my uh, security work. Um, that brings in like some good money for my family and destroying it. Apart from that, I've chilled out like quite a lot. Seen that quite um, don't get out and about as much as I used to. I've got a massive like dog lover, so I'm always. Like with my dogs and stuff now to be fair but um yeah like, i'm not really, uh, not really too sure like really what the future holds what about yourself you got any uh books coming out or any films i know the sales Always. in the film aren't they or yeah the sales films definitely going to happen it's uh we're, we're budgeting that now first of february uh 2022 we should have the budget done and then hopefully the finance comes in we've got a we've got a direct i've got a distributor and then hopefully filming it in october so we'll keep you posted yeah. about that yes. I, I honestly cool. think at 33 years of age with a life you had you should sit and write a book especially when you're sitting around at the moment um injured you should you should do it because there's a book inside everybody um yeah. the book about your military stuff um, your CP stuff uh, and your MMA stuff would fascinate a lot of people. And I think it would be an inspiration to people out there. And I know you've already been on my good mate, James English's podcast. You've done, you've done other podcasts. And I think people sharing your story is something which people would really appreciate, you know? So worth thinking about, even if it was just for the family to read in the future um, and you didn't actually publish it, I think you should sit and write your story because it's a fascinating story. And I'm really pleased that you've chosen to share it with us today, you know? Yeah, well, I haven't, I haven't uh, recorded with uh, James yet, but that's what I was, you, um, you're, oh, I thought it was, I thought it was James that you'd done one. Was it? Did yeah, you do no, one? I'm sure. saying you're like you got the exclusive because I haven't, uh, like I said earlier, I haven't spoke to anyone about the um, the president uh, job yet until. Oh yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, I so thought you, you'd you, done you, one with James. Yeah, so that's when you you got in there quick, Steve. You got it nice and good. It was good Fantastic. that how they got they got taken to um, Edinburgh as well. It was only four miles away from where the um, where the, the airport is. Like, because I can say it now, because at the time I couldn't like say anything, or I couldn't tell even um, no one in my family, like no one that he was working with at the time. But now, because it's been in the Sun newspaper and been spotted in BBC, it's been everywhere. And it, all, they've got all the articles, so everything I've said that it's all the, like mainstream now, so everyone knows. But they, at the time, they f sort of fooled the public a bit. They had everyone that, like thinking he was going to stay at the Five Star Hotel in Glasgow, uh, uh, the Glen Eagles Hotel. Because obviously, that's where the COP26 meeting was getting held. Then he like dip them off, and then we're gonna. He was gonna travel in uh, a helicopter, but then because it was raining so bad, remember all that rain they had and all the floods. They're worried that like it was gonna get like stuck, so that they did the convoy instead. But um, yeah, it was that, that was good. So I was glad that um, you got in there quick, so you can be the first person that I spoke Brilliant. to. Like, 
you got your connections with the films then, Steve, because like with your, um with the Craze family, didn't you? That's when you got into one of the, the Cray films as well. But yeah. then you said when because uh, I know you're good friends of um Charlie Bronson, you speak to him on the phone regularly. When when was the last time you spoke to him? Charlie Salvador, yeah. I mean he's doing okay. Um, you know, obviously as we're we're recording this in January, he he was asked to do a lateral flow test, which he refused to do. He's had his COVID jabs, uh, yeah. which is good. Um, I think he's just had his booster jab. But he was asked to do a lateral flow test, and he's in a CSU. He's in a closed. He's in a closed unit, yeah. um, and he he's only in there with eight people. He doesn't see anybody. They pass his food through. You know, they pass his food through the the door because of COVID restrictions. They're, they're all masked up. He didn't want to do a lateral flow test, so he's ended up going into isolation for ten days. He's got one. He's the king of isolation, isn't he? Well, that's it. So yeah. He says it was. It that's was like so a holiday. Charlie, that's so cool with Charlie Bronson. Man. Yeah, he's changed his name. Any Charlie Charlie Yeah. But he's doing all right. Uh, he's a bit disappointed that his parole hearing isn't going to come up until uh, September uh, because he's won his case um, to have a, a public hearing. Um, the the woman and are and whether the public come into prison or whether he goes out. But but ultimately he's doing fine, mate. And you should drop him a letter. You should drop him a letter. Drop him a line. He always responds. Um, drop yeah, in. Just mention mention you've done the podcast with me. And as I say, yeah. I'm sure he'll I'm sure he'll, he'll respond to you in due course, mate. But uh, yeah, and I'll say yeah. Steve, I said Steve was happy. Uh, I caught him at a good time as well because uh, Newcastle United have got all the money now, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as you know, we do a lot of football on this channel. Are you a football fan, Ryan? You said oh, you didn't really get into football. Are nah, you a football fan though? Nah, not really uh, so much into the football now, to be fair. But I just know you'd be a happy man, big Newcastle diehard fan, and now you've got all the money. Like last time I seen you up in Newcastle, like Newcastle, one of the skin teams in the Premiership. Now, now I spoke to you, and the, what the richest team in the world? Now, richest team in the world, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so as you're not, as you've not assigned yourself to anybody yet, can I suggest that you join Newcastle United's fan base as a glory seeker now? Oh no, if I want to be a glory, I'll, I'll stick to my, uh, my call me Town FC. <laughs> the Wheelston Raider, stick with him. Yeah. Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, mate. Uh, great to share your life story. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. And uh, best of luck with your recovery and everything else you do, mate. And I'll see you real soon, mate. Take care. Cheers, Steve. Thank you very much.